Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Out of Curiosity, where we are seeking biblical clarity for modern questions. The crowd goes wild. It's aced. It's perfect. (laughs) Uh, My name is Cameron from out here in cloudy Portland, Oregon, and I am joined by my friend, the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. It is perfect. 73 degrees down here. Oh, I'm also oh, no. Garland. Yeah, Garland's my, my name. My friend, set, perfect 73 you, degrees. You set me up to give my name, and then <laughs> you mentioned your weather, and uh, it is amazing today in Arkansas. So the fall is always perfect here. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, excellent. Garland, we have a difficult question today. Uh, yeah, Maybe the title of this one perhaps even generated a few more clicks than is typical and the question is this, are Christians bigots? That is a, <laughs> yeah, is yeah. That, that, I love the way we worded that one, yeah. Yeah, that, that's a question, or maybe I should say an accusation that gets thrown around quite a bit. And as we will discuss, I'm sure, uh, sometimes the shoe fits and, and Christians unnecessarily uh, have to wear it. But is, is bigotry, uh, as we're going to define it, is that actually a mark of faithful Christian discipleship? And if not, why not? So it's heavy. It's heavy. This is mm-hmm. going to touch on a number of tough issues. This isn't about uh, necessarily any individual difficult or content- contentious issue right now, but we kind of want to just ask this kind of broader question. And I think the place maybe to start with that is the question of what is the Christian's basic disposition toward people who do not hold our faith uh, who do not hold to our ethics, who live lives very differently than the lives that Jesus is calling us toward, or maybe we should start somewhere else. Where are you? Th- where are you thinking, Garland? What's what's the end to a question like this? Yeah, I think it's a great place to start, and and I think it's helpful for us to recognize that um, you know for for a long time, at least in uh, much of Western culture, and then also in American culture, um, no matter how we got here or not, there was a there were some, you know, general favoritism uh, shown to identifying yourself as a Christian. Like if you walked around in America or in Europe, um, that generally to say I'm a Christian, that wasn't met with disdain. Like there was some advantages even to uh, going to church, to to being a part of a church, and so. Um, while the number of people that really follow Jesus, like people that are committed Jesus followers, while that number probably actually hasn't really changed that much, um, in fact, maybe even on the increase, what's happened is that broader umbrella, that sort of sort of Christianized culture that was familiar, went to church some, that has largely disappeared, especially in the last 15 years. It's been, it's been declining in obviously Europe before America, but in the last 15 years or so, that's basically evaporated. And there are still pockets, like I'm in the South, and there are still pockets where there's some social advantages and some, you know, there's no social, uh, like there's no social negative to calling yourself a Christian or going to church. But even down here in the South, that's going to continue to go away. Uh, I, I I don't think that should come as a surprise to almost anyone now. If it if it does, um, I know that could be frightening. I know that can come with, uh, for many Christians, they could, it causes us to be uh, maybe fearful. But that's just kind of where we're at, I guess, culturally. And when you then step out into a culture where um, you're not met with, oh, being a Christian, that's great. Um, in fact, 
some of the things that Christians hold to, that Christians teach, some of the moral, uh, you know, maybe ethical and moral judgments that Christians hold. Um, in fact, many in our culture look at, and they wouldn't just say we disagree. They would say that a Christian is necessarily bigoted or backwards, or maybe, you know, maybe in an extreme case, like to say that or believe that you Christians, that makes you hateful. Um, mm. and you should be excluded from the public arena with that kind of an opinion. Uh, I think that's becoming increasingly, uh, at least the, the, the narrative as we're hearing it. And so, um, yeah, I think that's where we find ourselves. I'm, I'm sure that Portland, uh, is, is different than where I'm at, uh, now. And we can maybe speak to that in a minute, but, uh, I guess we just want to address that head on. And if, particularly, we might say, if you are a skeptic listening to this, maybe you're an outsider of the church or uh, maybe you've had a bad experience with Christians um, or maybe you just flat out don't buy any of it, let me, let me just speak directly to you to, to have an open mind uh, as we you know, have this discussion um, and, and to, to lean in and just to listen. Uh, if you are a Jesus follower, uh, you know, let me speak to you for a moment. I think recognize the cultural moment that we're in and we're going to need to learn the, the way of Jesus. And then uh, maybe just the third thing that might be worth saying before we dive in, and you said it, you alluded to it earlier, uh, Christians don't always get this right. Um, I don't always get this right. And by the way, non-Christians don't always get this one right. And so I think yeah. having just the, <laughs> maybe this is the honesty to, to look at each other and go, hey, we probably all have prejudice. We probably all have some groups or different people that we look at and go, I don't get them and at least the distrust. And so, you know, yes, you said it earlier. Yes, Christians don't always get this right. Some, in fact, the shoe fits quite well, this label of bigot. Um, and that stinks. And we hopefully we can get an idea of what Jesus would have us do. And then we'll apply some of this to directly answer the question uh, as we get as we get a little farther in this one. So maybe to start, you know, I, I have a a general idea, but what do we have a dictionary definition of the word bigot? What what are we talking about here? So, like the uh, Encyclopedia Britannica, like your Dictionary Britannica, defines it this way. Here's a bigot: a person who strongly and unfairly dislikes other people or other ideas. Okay, uh, and there's you know there's other de- uh, other definitions. I think that's probably the easiest one. It comes from the French word uh, from the French, which makes me wonder if we're saying it uh, incorrectly. <laughs> Bigot. Big- Bigot is the better way to say it. So our Christians, Bigot. Exclusively how I'm going to refer to this <laughs> from the rest of this podcast. Bigot, I, hate, so. I hate to say it, but I have no choice. In our most serious moment in this, you're going to say it like that. It's going to throw <laughs> me off. Um, so oh, listen, I, I, guys, I know I'm going to give you a myriad of examples where I have functioned as a Bigot. Uh, so as a big old idiot. <laughs> Which we're all doing right this now. Is, yeah, watching yeah, you right yeah. now. Yeah. Um, so the reality is, like, as we said, like, certainly uh, there, are, there are Christians that would, would fit that definition. However, we're going to talk a little bit to espouse what a Christian espouses about maybe a contentious issue that uh, someone else in our culture does not agree with. We're going we're gonna to work there, but that does not necessarily fit this definition. Um, 
And so we'll, we'll build to that in just a second. But first, I think it might be helpful for us just to look at Jesus, you know, just kind of take yeah. a look at how Jesus would instruct us. Because, you you know, you open this by saying, how should a Christian respond? And we're looking at this cultural moment and seeing that that canopy that sort of protected the church has largely evaporated. Okay, now what? And I think we can just get, we'll just do a couple of places that we can see this, then we'll see it amplified in the rest of the New Testament, in the letters of Paul and Peter uh, and so on. But just three places in Jesus, they're all famous shouldn't be that hard to uh, to wrap our minds around. The first is when Jesus is asked to summarize the law, summarize the teaching of the Old Testament, what what does he say? And he's, we see this in uh, in multiple of the Gospels, and it's, it's famous. Jesus says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He's quoting there from the great Shema, Deuteronomy 6. But then he also says, to, to love your neighbor as yourself. Um, this we call it the great commandment in the church. Um, right off the bat, um, Jesus is giving us a very high uh, bar. It's rooted in the Old Testament, but Jesus is saying this summarizes everything uh, that the, the Old Testament would teach. Love God and then love other people. Love your neighbor as yourself. Um, he then takes us... <laughs> He, he takes that to an extreme with what we often call, uh, the, it's a parable, it's famous, uh, you know, probably most people in Western culture have heard of it, it's the parable of the Good Samaritan, where he tells a story of, it's a story, so he's, he's using a fictional example called a parable to make a point, of uh, a Samaritan. Now, Samaritan was someone who, for, for a Jew like Jesus, these were people that Jews distrusted. Many Jews had a bigoted mindset using that definition, towards Samaritans. Uh, they looked at them with judgment. They sneered at them, okay? And so these were, these were like a form of an enemy to them. Uh, and Jesus says, a Samaritan, he's coming up from Jericho. He falls among robbers. A priest walks by. A Levite walks by. They do nothing to help him. Um, uh, but then a Samaritan walks by. So the Jewish man is there in the dirt. I think I said Samaritan earlier. The Jewish man is there. He's been beat down. And a Samaritan comes by. And the Samaritan takes him in. He takes care of him. He provides for him. And Jesus uses this story. You can find it, by the way, in Luke chapter 10. Jesus uses this story essentially um, to demonstrate what it looks like um, to live rightly according to God's righteousness, God's justice in the world. And the question that provoked him to tell the story was, okay, well, what's my neighbor? You know, if you want me to love my neighbor, who's my neighbor? And this is the story Jesus tells, uh, using someone they all would hate. Um, yeah. So I think we can see what he's doing here. He's really, Jesus's view of what this looks like is, I mean, it's alien to humanity. We typically begin with a tribalism, an us versus them. How can we win as long as we win and they lose? That's it's almost the way of uh, natural selection. It's the way of the world. It's the way of war and violence. And then Jesus comes along and he's like, actually, your enemy, let's talk about that. And then it gets even more. In Matthew chapter five, Jesus addresses, uh, it's, it's a famous passage, the Sermon on the Mount. And here, just listen to the language. He says, you've heard what it was said, love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, remember, Rome is in power. And the empire of Rome um, has the, their heavy thumb on the Jewish population, and many of the Jews hate them. If you thought they didn't like the Samaritans, they hate these Gentile Romans who hurt them and persecute them and tax them. And he says, 
Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Um, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think we need to read anything else. Uh, I mean, we can look at the yeah. letters of Paul and Peter in Revelation and see this amplified, um, but Jesus demonstrates something unbelievably provocative and profound here in telling us just these three passages uh, and giving us these, these three ideas. So the basic posture, it seems, of a Jesus follower toward even one who would disagree, even one who would be um, a so-called enemy, is this kind of a posture from Jesus. Yeah. The inescapable point across the New Testament is that the love that Christians are meant to have is so scandalously wide and so scandalously deep that um, I kind of shudder to think how poorly mm-hmm. I reflect it mm-hmm. in the world. And what what is love? I mean, maybe we need maybe we need a definition of love, even because love love becomes kind of a vacuous term. Uh, we can you know we can use the same word to describe our, the bagel we had this morning for breakfast, or we can use right, it to describe right. you know our spouse of forty years or whatever. Maybe maybe how I would put it is you know synthesizing a number of kind of these biblical themes. Love disadvantages itself. Love sacrificially gives of oneself for the good, the true good of someone else. Um. It you can, can do and does your bagel this morning. That wasn't for your bagel. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It can and does involve your feelings. Like you know, that's often culturally we, we we boil it down to feelings. It's not to say that feelings can't be involved in it, but it goes mm-hmm. far beyond feelings mm-hmm. into commitment and action, even when those feelings fade. So it's it's a mm-hmm. self sacrificing for the good of the other kind of disposition. Mm-hmm. That if we are to take Jesus seriously, means we are to have that for. Every single person that we might ever encounter, from the easiest to the most difficult, to show that to. Well, and maybe famously, Paul says that when he says in Romans 5, God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. To fit your definition perfectly. Um, yeah. And so now, now I guess here's, here's, here's where we want to go now. Um, this is where I really want to invite my skeptical friends that might be listening to this. Uh, and if you're a Jesus follower listening to this, um, you know, this, this might give you a, a, a way to think through what it would look like for us to, uh, to, to be winsome in our culture. Um, the first thing I just tell you is go, go look at Jesus. Just go, go read the gospel accounts and just look at the person Jesus. Um, with your questions, with your doubts, with your skepticism, sure. Um, but, but I almost dare you, just go look at Jesus, okay? But the second thing I would ask is, um, okay, if the definition of a bigot is one who strongly and unfairly dislikes uh, another group of people or, an, or their ideas or something like that, um, certainly there are Christians that the shoe fits on that, okay? And I think we said earlier, we could probably all... That's uh, been me probably, at yeah, times. We'd, we'd all have to raise our hand yeah, and say, yeah. at it times, might, It might us. be unwittingly yeah. right now, and I need to right. repent. Yeah, but. yeah, Christian or non-Christian. So I think we can all just take the gloves off and sit down and say, okay, that's probably got us all at some point. Now, now is where I think it gets particularly, um, particularly relevant is in the modern world, there are, there are a handful of things, and they're flashpoint things in our culture. These are things that Christians hold to. Uh, some of them are moral things. Some of them are um, uh, ways of viewing maybe truth, like they think that they have the one way to God or something like that. There are a handful of ideas that in our culture right now, um, 
my my skeptical friends or my non-believing friends, they look at a Christian and say, for you to hold that makes you a bigot or makes you hateful. And I think what I'd, what I'd like to do is take a few minutes here and just ask and answer the question, is that fair? Is that a fair accusation? So, Let's, let's use, and here, we said we're not going to go into, and we're not, we're not going to go into, like, what does the Bible say about said flashpoint? This is not an episode about that. But take an issue like uh, marriage and sexuality, or gender, or Christian exclusivity, um, things like that. Um, those you are probably just named the three hottest yeah, exactly, uh, yeah. so it's not, flashpoints. Yep. It's not a podcast on that. Um, and so if we take that definition, though, so a Christian... Who says? And by the way, uh, I'm, I, it'd be helpful to disassociate what you think maybe Christian is from what you think maybe a conservative is uh, mm. or a Republican is. We're, tra- we're talking, we're, we're 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 disentangling those things just for a moment. Um, but if you have someone who says, "Okay, I'm a Christian and I believe that," let's use sexuality as an example, that sex is best expressed in the context of a marriage between a one man and a woman. Okay. Um, that would be a statement, a moral value that many Christians uh, hold to. The question is, does holding to that statement make that person, therefore, a bigot? Someone who strongly and unfairly dislikes other people. Um, now, I, I think, and I'm hoping, especially maybe maybe if you're listening to this and you'd say, I don't buy any of you, the, 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 the Christian teaching on this, or I think Christians are bigots. I hope that you would at least consider perhaps that's an unfair statement. Perhaps that's a, uh, a statement that is ratcheting the rhetoric up very, very high. Um, now, you may say, um, I think it's dangerous for one group, say the Christian group, to, uh, to try to impose their view of sexuality on the rest of the population or on society at a whole or on another group. That's, there's something dangerous about that. There's something uh, maybe even that rises to the level of hateful in that. That's a wrong thing to do. Now, um, I would just simply ask, uh, what is the fundamental difference then in a Christian saying, I have this view of marriage and somebody who comes from a different background who says, I have this view of marriage? And I think that view should be, uh, should be the one that our society adopts. The question I'm simply asking is, um, what is the fundamental difference in both a Christian saying that, who maybe has a traditional view of marriage, you know, between one man and one woman, and somebody who has a progressive view of marriage, who says, I think that same-sex marriage or whatever may be the case. Uh, I think what I'm trying to help us to see is that both groups, are they not coming to the table with a particular sexual moral judgment and a desire for the broader society to accept and abide by that, by that idea. Um, I, I would not accuse either of being a bigot. I would not accuse either of being hateful. Now, I think I could, I could imagine the objection going something like this. Okay, yeah, but the Christian view is restrictive. It's an intolerant view. Um, the progressive one is not. And I, I would grant that. It, it is seemingly more restrictive, okay? But I might again ask, does your sexual view, uh, your view of sexuality in its best context, does it have any 
restrictions? Is there something you would exclude? And most people, at least that I talk to, you know, across the table or, um, you know, in a coffee shop or something would say, yeah, of course, there's some, there's certain things that I don't think should be allowed. And those things are, uh, those are not, those are not typical or something like that. So now we would have to acknowledge that both groups are coming to the table with a particular moral and ethical judgment about, in this case, you know, the right application of sex. And both groups want the broader society to adopt that, that their value judgment. And both groups are affirming that there is some kind of a restriction. Um, we've walked through this and I've talked for several minutes here. I'm curious, um, what, how does that land on you? And I'm, I've, tr- I, I've had real, I've had very, a number of real conversations with real people about this. I've, I've, I've tried um, uh, my best to be sensitive to the accusation. Christians are hateful or Christians are bigots and gone, are we? Let me think about that. And I've struggled to see that this definition of what that word would mean, that this disagreement would rise. That How, how does that land on you? Two things that come to mind for me are, one, I think at the end of the day, if, if you're going to have any kind of moral view, any kind of ethical view, any kind of about whatever issue, um, then you will naturally you will be creating people who follow that and agree with you, people who disagree with it and and don't do it. And uh, uh, by, by virtue of that, you have you have entered the wor- the realm of competing worldviews and disagreements. And you can hold you can hold your disagreements either with a posture of generosity, seeking understanding, uh, love, and you know patience with the Charity. other person, tolerance uh, in the in the best healthiest sense of the word. Yeah. Or you can hold those views with a those differences with a uh, exclusionary, hateful, um, ac- angry. accusatorial, angry uh, tone. Um, so yeah, I, I I think it seems pretty plain to say that the mere existence of disagreement doesn't entail one posture or the other in and of itself. Um, the second thing I would say is you didn't really get into the into the conversation of um, in in most things, um, and I guess I guess we could open the door to a whole like political philosophy conversation we don't have time for, but yeah, I, I would say it is not the case in general that that Christians with most of their ethical things are really int- that interested in calling non Christians to live out those things. Now there are some things that you go. This is such a a justice issue that we're going to plant our flag and use whatever political muscle we can muster to do it. And I think I think most would agree that that's good and right. But there are there are a number of things where we just kind of go, yeah, this is what Christians hold to, and if you're not a Christian, um, we're we're not expecting you to hold to this. You're you know mm-hmm. that Christianity is a a voluntary association into mm-hmm. discipleship to Jesus. It's something that's uh, that's come to by faith and is personally opted into. Um, and so there's another wrinkle of this conversation as well that I I don't think we've mentioned that yeah we we can hold something and and at the same time go well. You know, Paul says it himself in in a couple of his letters, like, you know, this is for believers, not for those who are outside the faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I think that's maybe a helpful yeah. wrinkle to the conversation as well. To put even a, using the example that we've already put on the table, um, yes, there are Christians that uh, hold a view about, uh, you know, we call it a, a moral value judgment about sexuality and its best expression. And yes, there are Christians that think that... Uh, that should be accepted by the broader, you know, society around. There's a number of Christians that 
hold that view and don't think that it should be what the broader American or Western culture espouses as their view of marriage. And um, again, I, I would certainly say that I don't think that having said view would rise to the level of, of the accusation that that person is a bigot. Um, and so I, 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 one of the purposes, I guess, of this episode is maybe for us all to recognize uh, the rhetoric that we use. Um, I, and by the way, this goes both ways. Um, so I think for Christians to recognize that we can come to the table with charity and grace and uh, seeking to understand, or we can come to the table with anger and our claws out, um, and plenty of Christians do. Um, and I think when we do, we would be in violation of the commands of our uh, of our King Jesus. And uh, if you're a Jesus follower listening to this, um, get ready, um, be prepared. Uh, I, I think that in in the one of the things that the Apostle Paul says, he says, "Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal." Or Apostle Peter says, "Don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that you're experiencing." Although, some, as, as if something strange were happening, like uh, that's historically the normal expectation for most Christians in the world has been we don't fit in with culture and people don't like us. Um, and so I, I, I would also, though, hope from our, maybe our skeptical listeners to go, you know what, maybe, maybe my rhetoric has been ratcheted up and maybe I should speak with more charity when I'm talking to a Christian that I disagree with about maybe really important things. Um, and I think that we'd all be better served uh, maybe in doing that or approaching it with that kind of a posture. Um, one last thing I would add is just the connection between love as we've defined it and this, the central command of our faith uh, and human flourishing. Um, love, love is necessarily tied to seeking the ultimate good for the other, uh, e even at a cost to ourselves. And I think in this context, it's really helpful to see that um, if we're convinced of a teaching of Jesus, that this is really what Jesus taught, that this is really Jesus's vision of what the good life is, what, what's the path to flourishing, to health, to the life abundant that he described, um, then it is not the loving thing to do to set that aside, to, uh, to try to mutate it, to try to withhold it. The loving thing is to say, hey, this, this is what Jesus has, and this is what he invites you into. Uh, even if it makes us uncomfortable to say it. And even if it makes the other person uncomfortable or angry to hear it, um, it's, it's in the interest of ultimately the good for this person, the love for this person as Jesus defines it. And yes, of course, that means there's, that is probably going to mean there's going to be disagreement and, and that's okay. We can step into that disagreement, uh, but that disagreement isn't rooted in hatred that disagreement is rooted in love and trying to faithfully communicate what is ultimately best according to the God of the universe as, as mm -hmm. we understand him. I just, I just think that's a really important layer on this. Yeah, I think it's to use one of the examples used of the exclusivity. You know, I can totally understand, and it would, I feel the same way, somebody from outside the Christian faith hearing Christians say, we think that Jesus is the way to God as coming across as hateful and intolerant and exclusive and pick your word. Um, at the same time, a Christian is convinced that Jesus is the path to flourishing and thus to mutate that, even though it may not fit a cultural paradigm and it may come across poorly, it is not a Christian do it. That would actually be the Christian being 
unloving to you. Now, you may disagree that Jesus is the place where flourishing is found or the only way, and that's, that's completely fair. I think everybody has every right to do that. But for a Christian to uh, mutate that to fit uh, maybe a, a pluralistic sensibility or because it makes them uncomfortable to do it or they might get accused of being a bigot or hate, hateful or something or exclusive, um, I, I think that that Christian would then be an heir to do that. Um, and so the loving thing for that Christian is to say, yes, I know you disagree, and yes, I know that it doesn't land well in the modern world, but Jesus is where life is found. Um, yeah. And so we, we're hoping that even, I think this is actually a good way maybe for us to conclude this one, because I hope, if especially if you're not a Jesus follower listening to this, that, that, that you would begin to maybe be open-minded about the posture of your Christian neighbors. And hey, Christian listeners, if you're a Jesus follower, this should be our posture. Um, our posture is out of a sense that Jesus leads to our neighbors flourishing, even those that disagree with us. And if it's from a place of winning or from a place of uh, getting back at them or power, we're automatically not in step with our king. Um, and so, um, yeah, I, this is a... This is the kind of conversation we're going to have to have, have to have more of Jesus followers, the Jesus community, um, in the decades to come. And uh, I, I actually kind of welcome those conversations. Um, and so we're we, we're kind of teeing that up here. We hope that at least it's been somewhat uh, somewhat fruitful. Any last word? No, I think. I think that's everything that could possibly be said on this subject. Nothing <laughs> else could be said about our Christians, big O's, nah. uh, big A's. Uh, yeah, no. So with that, there's much there's more no to be said. Way. I want to be yeah. very clear. There is much more yeah, yeah, to be yeah. said, yeah, but yeah, yeah. Uh, but time elides us. So as always, thanks for listening to Out of Curiosity. Thank you for listening to this episode of Out of Curiosity. If you found it helpful, please consider leaving us a review and sharing it with a friend. To suggest a topic, reach out to us on Instagram at OO Curiosity. We'll see you next time.